Hey there, you're listening to What the Riff? Join us as we remember the great rock and roll hits from a month between 1965 and 1995. We're going to riff on all things about the bands, the members, and the goings-on during that time. We hope to inspire you to find and download the songs you hear today, whether you're fans who forgot about some of these tracks or maybe never even heard them before. Check out our blog at whattheriff.com or follow us on Facebook at What the Riff. Here's a shout-out to our sponsors, Right Column Financial, offering CFO and bookkeeping services for small business, Stanton Electric, a commercial electrical specialist, and Marbury Creative Group, a brand development agency that helps companies tell it better. So let's turn up the volume and enjoy this episode of What the Riff? Egyptian and Israeli representatives gathered in Cairo for the first formal peace conference. 36 die in a crane elevator explodes. Serial killer Ted Bundy escapes from jail in Colorado. This is December 1977. You're listening to What the Riff. I'm Wayne. I'm Rob. I'm Brian. And I'm Bruce. And Bruce, you got this classic album. What is it? Indeed. This is Jackson Brown running on empty. Still a radio staple. It really is, isn't it? This is the fifth album by Jackson Brown. It reached number three on Billboard Pop Albums charts for 1978, and it stayed on the chart for 65 weeks. Wow. The album. Wow. It was nominated for Album of the Year in 1979, and it is Jackson Brown's most successful album. I love this song. Yeah. This is the opening track and the title track from the the album. It's the first single from the album. And it was recorded in concert at Meriwether Post Pavilion in Columbia, Maryland. So it went to number 11 on the Billboard Hot 100. And I think a lot of people, when they think of Jackson Brown, this is the song that they think of. The song, what do you think of, what do you think about with Running on Empty? When you're thinking of this song, what does it, what does it make you think I mean, of? I think about literally just trying to get the most out of your gas, yeah. you know, in your car. <laughs> and uh, it's like, I know what else it means. What, how about you, Brian? Well, I think it, every time I hear a song, it just reminds I think about bands that just give so much all the time, and it's a long tour, and they, they the only way they keep them going is by the energy that they get from the crowd. They're just running on empty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And my thought is, is you gave it all and you have nothing left. Yeah. And yeah. now I, you just you're about ready to fall down. Yeah. Just, you've given it all. It's like a run in a road race. At the end, you just want to fall down at the end of the finish line. It it makes me think. It feels midlife crisis ish to me. Definitely. You know, it the the idea of that. You're all running around and you're, you know, you're running out of energy, that kind of thing. Um, it was actually inspired by Jackson Brown driving to the studio to make The Pretender. Um, he lived only a few blocks from the studio, and so he would not fill up his car, and so he was constantly, literally running on it. So I was right. Yeah. Well, back in the day, I, if I remember... In that time, it was probably before the gas crisis. Gas was probably about sixty-nine cents a gallon. It, it was, was pretty it cheap. was smack dab in the yeah, but this it was seventy-seven. This was pretty close to that time. Well, seventy-nine is when the big crisis when yeah. when we were embargoed. Right, there was no gas out there, and it zoomed up over a dollar a gallon. Do you remember the gas stations then and the the real difficulty that they had at that time? I stood in line. Or I actually waited 
I just got my driver's license. Yeah. So my dad had no problem saying, hey, uh, you want to go, uh, you know, when there was low gas, I'd sit for an hour or more, wait to get eight gallons only. Yeah. Did you have beer deal. and cigarettes to keep you busy while you waited? <laughs> well, well, I mean, I, even me. odd numbers on your, uh, on your tag was uh-huh. the way you were able to get gas. Do you recall, though, that they had to change the gas pumps because they did not have the dollar digit? Yes. I remember that I as a kid. Yep. That they just hadn't thought that gasoline would be, you know, over 99 cents. Oh, yeah, it had like spinning <laughs> wheels, sort of yeah. like a, a, a slot machine. Yep. <laughs> So getting back to Jackson Brown, um, this album is, it's a sort of a, it's a live album, but it's also a con, it's a concept album and it's almost a documentary all kind of wrapped up in there. So at the time it was not uncommon for groups that would do, you know, three or four studio albums and then they had contractual commitments or whatnot and, and they would put out a live album because it didn't take as much time so they just take footage from the road and they they put them on and they put them on the album and you know that they fulfilled their commitment and they put out a live album this one was done a little differently first off there is not a song on this album that had previously been on a studio album i was going to ask that because i i don't remember any of these songs beforehand. But that's yeah. right. That's right. So that's one, one of the things. It, it revolves, the. I said it was a concept album too. It revolves around the theme of life on the road. And um, a lot of these songs, um, first off, the, like I said, the tracks had not been previously recorded. And like this song, this was not recorded on the stage. It was recorded on the road. In this case, mm-hmm. literally on the road. So he was in a bus or whatever, traveling down the road, and decided absolutely. To, ah. So the a lot of the some of the songs, um, they were recorded backstage or they were recorded in hotel rooms. Uh, one of them is listed as recorded in room three ten, cross keys in, and another is recorded in the big rehearsal room at the Saratoga Performing Arts Center. Damn, that sounds like it could be what the riff. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> really. What I, the sound engineer had to be just pulling his hair out on this because yeah. I mean you you got all these mics you got to set up and and you got to get the sound right and here you are you got noise in the background you got a train going by you got whatever <laughs> <Yeah>. else <laughs> just to let you know folks we're next to a train track so yep. if you hear one go by every once in a while that's what happens. Can listen to the background here. You hear the background? Yes. Yeah. There's a there it is. There's the, the bus. bus. Ah, they are it. recording this song on the bus. They are it was written on the bus. It was recorded on the bus. It's a Continental Silver Eagle. You heard them reference uh, reference the Silver Eagle. It's about boredom and the life on the road. Um, but you can hear the bus's engine in the background. You can hear it downshift, you can hear it accelerate. Uh, Brown and Howard Burke, his tour, tour manager, wrote this one. So were they waiting on the bus? All day. Because <laughs> I heard that someone left Chicago. Oh, Jesus just left Chicago. <laughs> yes. 
Uh, one of the interesting things I thought about this song, it said Russ, uh, Russ Kunkel is on percussion. He's playing snare, hi-hat, and cardboard box with the foot pedal. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. It reminds me of uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. They had a couple songs where they were banging on all kinds of things. Uh-huh. Like whatever you can get your hand on, you know. It'd be funny if they said Naga Hide bus seats. <laughs> Well, right. we we heard about we did Queen a while back, and you know, and we saw the movie. They're just dumping trays of, of spoons, forks, and knives onto a, a concrete, you know, floor just mm-hmm. to get some sort of sound. Yep. But that's, I mean, it's it's just amazing to me the talent that this guy had. I mean, Jackson Brown, he got his start as a songwriter as a teenager, and uh, he actually joined the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. Uh, when he was shortly after high school. Um, his early songs were recorded by them, recorded by Nico. He, uh, he traveled with Nico a bit. Steve Noonan, Greg Allman, Joan Baez, Linda Ronstadt, The Eagles, The Birds, and others. I like to do a song I, I never played in public before. Said brand new songs. I don't know, where, where we hit the, hit the sort of intro of another song? Yes, we did. Oh, this is, I think this is, other You're than gonna running recognize on MTI, this. I, this is probably my favorite because it does talk about the, the, the This is my favorite. Yeah, this is my favorite yeah. Jackson Brown song. This Thank is you. the whole reason for me doing this album. This is, I'm with you on this one, Bruce. Now, I'm a, I, I can separate politics and the person mm-hmm. from from their music. Yeah. And Jackson Brown really wasn't the best person. He's had some... Um, he's way out there on the left. Well, I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about he's t- had some domestic abuse things. Ah. So, so, yeah, that. so here's the deal there. Um, he uh, he toured with... Um, he's that part of that Laurel Canyon crowd, right? Yeah. Yeah, you know, we've talked about them before, right? So, And he gets along with a lot of folks pretty well. The Birds, the Eagles, Linda Ronstadt... Uh, he toured with Joni Mitchell in uh, 1972, and they briefly dated uh, that year. And then since then, their relationship just deteriorated. Um, it was uh, it was still bad in 1994 when Mitchell wrote "Not to Blame," in which she implied that Jackson Brown abused women. Yeah. So that's that's what I remember. Yeah. And you know. It was kind of shocking, but, you know, especially someone that's supposed to be, you know, free love and peacenik and all that sort of right. stuff. And, and you know. Well, uh, understand there's some bad blood there, too. So Yeah, that's true. But, uh, but yeah, this song, we've talked about some of these songs about the road, like uh, Wanted Dead or Alive or uh, Turn the Page. Yeah. This one, The Loadout, mm-hmm. is, uh, is about... Um, the road it's it's a basically an homage to the roadies and it's to the crowds and things like that yeah it's it's feels upbeat to me but you listen to the the words it's really kind of depressing you know it's that we're about to break this down and move on to the next town and you know well thus the running on empty Mm-hmm. You know, this is what I, I correlate the two together because he's telling you about why he's running on empty, in my opinion, in this song. Well, I actually played a practical joke on my father. When I was in college, I was probably a sophomore, junior, and I was on the major entertainment, which had groups come in and everything. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I called them up. I think it was April 1st, and I go, I go, hey, you know, this group came through, and, you know, they needed some people to help them out with the band and everything, so I'm going to go on the road with them. They call them roadies and everything else, and he goes, 
because I don't think that'd be a smart idea there. <laughs> I always think about, too, that there's um, from Journey, from their 1983 tour, mm-hmm. you know, doing the, um, not, not obviously the Escape, but the... Um, you talking about Faithfully? Fa- yeah, it's the, uh, what, what album Frontiers? Was? Frontiers, thank you. And it interviews the roadies, and, and how they just worked... It worked themselves almost to death. Right. And they would just grab sleep wherever they could. And right. I was really inspired by that, that these guys were that con- convicted in their passions to mm-hmm. follow these guys and work like dogs. And, and they, they are the unsung yeah. heroes of rock and roll. The roadies are. I mean, they, they, you'll see every once in a while some guy that's been with, you know, the Who or Sticks, or whatever, and been there with them for 20, 30 years. Yeah, his back's given out. Yeah, exactly. Can't, can't but, you know, they're anymore. tuning the guitars and everything else. But, I mean, they got to get there early, set up the band. Then after the concert, when everybody's gone and, and it's all quiet and the band's out partying, they're breaking it down. And then they got to sleep, probably on the road to the next place they're going to. And then, you know, they're waking up at... Two o'clock in the afternoon, and suddenly they're in some other strange town. Starting all over again. Exactly. They're the first to come and the last to go, working for that minimum wage. Yeah. Yep. They just, can't he turn a phrase? I mean, yeah. it's it's just amazing. Yeah. And then they talk about their experience. You know, these towns all look the same. They're, we just spend our time in hotel rooms and and wandering around backstage until it's time to be on the, on the stage. Well, you, I've heard Don Henley say on several occasions that rock and roll is not as glamorous as you think because a lot of it is hurry up and wait. Yeah. You know, and that's why Joe Walsh would go tear up rooms or all the rock musicians would tear up rooms just because they were just bored out of their minds. I can tell you that from a advertising agency perspective. If we've got a shoot, I'm so excited. We're filming a commercial. But the amount of work it takes to set up and get everybody, you know, your son Andrew's uh, dealing with that, Bruce. But, you know, it's like there's so much, there is a lot of hurry up and wait. And it's great when everything's done, when you look at it. But people have no idea what goes into those kind of productions. Yeah, the only time that seems so short is the time we get to play. I love that line. Yeah. And then I love the way that they move from this song into the next yes. one. And generally, you're going to hear these two songs together on yeah. the radio. Yeah, in classic rock, that was the way it was done. This one, yeah, you're right. They would play together. Sort of like, yes, some yes songs are playing together. Mm-hmm. You know, good people and, you know, yes. But don't anticipate. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can anticipate for another six seconds. Yes. <laughs> Go boys. Nice transition. Yeah, wow. Obviously, this is a remake. I was going to say, I this heard is. a little bit of this in the previous song yeah. earlier. There was, uh-huh. a, there was a little bit of a lick, and I was like, that sounds like his other song. Uh huh. I didn't know it went into this. So, this is a cover of Maurice Williams and the Zodiacs song from 1960. Williams wrote it when he was 15 years old, and it was inspired about trying to get his date to stay out past 10. And he says, and if your mama don't mind and your daddy don't mind, um, and this version is if the pro- now if the producer don't mind and the roadies don't mind. Now, we all had kids growing up. 
what what was I always had a certain time kids had to come in. I and I always told my daughter, your your time to be home is is your your grade. Mm-hmm. So ninth grade, nine o'clock, you had to be home. It didn't matter what what day or whatever else, and it was 10, 11, 12. I don't know if you had curfews for your kids at that time either. Mm-hmm. We didn't really do the curfew thing, but we said, you know, what time are you planning on coming in? Right. You know, let, you tell me. And ours are pretty good about, you know, letting us, having it be reasonable. Mama always stayed up late, though. That's uh, David Lindley on that falsetto part, by the way. Who was the soloist, though, before that? What? Who sang that? Oh, geez, I looked that up. It's uh, Linda. I'll have to look that up. Okay. Uh, but she she traveled with the band and she did a lot of the the backing vocals and she performed with a number of other folks. Bruce Springsteen and some others. Love that solo. I always assume the falsetto is Frankie Valley. Yeah, it sounds like it, doesn't it? The the Williams version of that song is it went to number one in 1960 and it is a. Uh, record holder because it is the shortest single to hit the number one spot on the Billboard Hot 100, clocking in at one minute and 36 seconds. Wow. Now, this version's a little longer than that, but the original was was very short. You know, I didn't realize that that was a cover. Yeah. A number of folks have done it. I remembered it from back in the day. That was, I mean, a lot of these groups would travel together and they would have their one song, but there'd be four four of these acapella groups up there and backing band. Sort of sort of like what the Motown group did. Learn something new today. These seem like very uh, seasoned, talented musicians. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was Rosemary Butler. Okay. Is the the female lead on this Thank song? Yes, yeah, Jack's word. This is an album that was live that did not have any previous songs because it was exactly isn't that amazing? Everything else was going on. Yeah, you know, you had Frampton Comes Alive, you had Kiss Alive, you had all these live albums coming out, and here's this one that's not a greatest hits. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks, Bruce. That was a lot of fun. And now we're moving on to our entertainment track from Right Collin Financial. I don't know if Mike at Right Column necessarily would choose this song, but I like it. <laughs> I am wearing my platform shoes, though, guys. Yes, sir. There is a reason for going in the disco direction, though. But yeah. December 1977, disco was at its height. And, and what was that, Wayne? And this little movie called Saturday Night Fever, starring who? John Travolta. It hit big time. And... For the next year, you had nothing but disco on the radio. This really propelled uh, Travolta's career into the stratosphere, no doubt. And it also caused a a, 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 really a a backlash from people. You know, it was just too much Mm -hmm. of that music, and everybody's going, "No, rock and roll," and and it would change. And and we see it in the early '80s of the MTV area, that whole new alternative scene. But there were rockers. We, We We've discussed them in 78. Everybody just kind of went, okay, we're going to listen to these. You guys can listen to that stuff. It's sort of like a guilty pleasure now, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Is that what you call it? Yeah. Hey, someone did a a disco album. Did they not? Hey. Right, Brian? I enjoyed it when it was there. 
All right, another movie that came out in December 1977, The Gauntlet. You guys remember that yeah, one? Yeah, I remember seeing that with one. With Sandra Locke. Clint Eastwood was a cop that had a bus, and he had to take him from uh, uh, Las Vegas to Phoenix, and the mob was out to get him, and then driving that bus. You put steel plates up in the bus? And they were driving it, and just all these, I mean, that last 20 minutes, if you don't (laughs) want to see nothing but pure destruction of a bus by by gunfire, yeah, gunfire, that is the movie for you. That is so wild. There was another movie out. I didn't see it until it came out on video on on some of these uh, HBO and Cinemax. Goodbye, Emmanuel. Emmanuel 3. You guys remember those? Late night. It was called Skinamax, I think is what we called it back in the day. <laughs> I remember them. I've never, I've never Cinemax. seen them. Cinemax. Uh, uh, the World's Greatest Lover. That was Gene Wilder's uh, written and directed and starring with Carol Kane. Sort of a spoof of uh, all those Rudolph Valentino movies. Uh-huh. Summer City. It was uh, an Australian film, but it was the first film Mel Gibson had. Uh-huh. High Anxiety. Great, yeah. great movie. I, I want to say it was 50-50. It was a Mel Brooks movie, sort of follow-up to, uh, I, I, think, I guess it was... Um, it was Blazing Saddles? It, I think it was... Uh, Young Frankenstein, I think he's Maybe on so. after that. But, but that it was, was all about the spoofs on uh, Alfred Hitchcock. And if you like, I was an Alfred Hitchcock fan. Yeah. And that's so funny. ABBA, the movie, was a mockumentary of the group ABBA's Australian tour. And Teflon was a spy movie with Charles Bronson and Lee Remick. All right, that was a good entertainment pick. Now we're moving on to staff picks, and Wayne's going to lead this one off. Hey, guys, do you remember a movie called Almost Famous? No. No. It was about a young reporter from Rolling Stone who traveled with an up-and-coming rock band, venue to venue. The band was called Stillwater. This is Stillwater. The movie was about the real life of Cameron Crowe, and this was one of his early movies. And he remembered seeing Stillwater, and he got the name. Okay, great. What the heck? I'll, I'll use that name. They actually had to come back to Stillwater and say, hey, can we use the name? And they gave an agreement to it. But it featured a, a, a fictional band, so it really didn't have anything else. They, he usually covered groups like the Rolling Stones, Eagles, and Led Zeppelin. But after seeing Stillwater in the 60s, I mean the 70s, the, uh, ah, yes. I remember this. Yes. <laughs> I knew this would get you yes. now. <laughs> this was a top 50 hit. It, was, it peaked at number 46. So I don't know if you call it a one-hit wonder. But this, I love this. This was great. Yeah. I figured you guys would. At first, you guys go, who is this? But... But that boat quarter, we all knew yeah. it was. When Peter Frampton came in, I knew it was. <laughs> That's right. Cameo by Peter, Peter Frampton. Frampton. Uh, Stillwater is from Warner Robins. Georgia. Oh, yeah? Yeah, just south of Macon. Uh, they were con- kind of considered Southern Rock. They were active from 73 to 84. Um, they had only two albums. They were released on Capricorn Walk Records, if you remember that. 
that's where a lot of your kind of southern rock groups were, were being played on. Mm. Um, the company unfortunately hit on hard times, and they were unable to promote Stillwater, so they actually kind of just, just kind of disappeared off the, off that. But yeah, this is an interesting song. It's it's, it's a, basically a song about a talking guitar. <laughs> it says. I was stoning or drinking when I heard that talking guitar say, my daddy was a Gibson, my mama was a Fender, <laughs> mind bender. This was such a fun song. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my so a year later, they opened the mind bender roller coaster at Six Flags the year after. There you oh, really? go. Yeah. I wonder if that's where they got the name from. It, it could have been. These guys opened for Atlanta Rhythm Section, Charlie Daniels. Uh, I mean, they played shows with Blackfoot, Almond Brothers. Uh, I mean, it is just such a fun, fun song. And I, I, this is one where I go, guys, this would disappear if we didn't bring this back up. Because this song, once I heard that quote quarter, I went, heck yeah. Well, and just as a public service announcement, if you have a guitar that starts talking to you, you probably need to cut back on the sauce. <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> uh, maybe I need to just get totally wasted and get on a guitar and see if it'll talk back to me. I don't know. That'll be later today since we record this Saturday mornings. And we're going to a beer <laughs> yeah. festival this afternoon, yeah, aren't we, Rob? Swanee Beer Fest. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe we should do it. What the Riff episode after that and see how far we <laughs> get. <That's> right. <laughs> it will be still, quite different. Stillwater still plays. Uh, I don't know if they still do, but as of the early 2000s, they were playing them uh, in making a Christmas show. And a host of other friends for different rock groups would come in and you know, just have a good old fun time. But yeah, Macon's a good destination. I think Capricorn Records now has a uh, studio slash. Uh, History Museum. If you go to, if you want to come rock and roll, you know, go down there, go see some Alma Brothers, go visit. Um, I guess Dwayne Alman's grave, graves there. Very nice. All right, now I'm gonna get into my staff pick. What you got, Rob? Well, you may not recognize it yet, but you're going to in just a minute. Oh, I love this song. Are you kidding me? It's got a little uh, Latin feel here. Listen to that, man. You feel like you're in uh, somewhere somewhere down south, further south. I see a Bond girl, you know, sneaking through the, the, the hotel room. <laughs> well, you know who originally recorded this song, right? You remember? The Zombies? Yes. The Zombies, Rod Argent. It made it to number two on the Billboard 100 in December of 1964. And here we are in December of 1977. This is Santana. And this is a great version. Uh, I, I have to say, it's tough to beat the, the Zombies version. I mean, because that is so virtual and just, just very emotional. Yeah. This one is so smooth. I mean, isn't that what Santana does? Yeah. yeah. He makes everything just cool and smooth. This is from their 1977 album, Moonflower, and it made it to number 27 in the U.S., and it was on the charts for about 14 weeks. 
You're listening to Greg Walker. He's the lead vocalist, and um, I just I think it, I just thought it had a neat feel to it. So listen to the band going there. Santana started in San Francisco in 1966, so they'd already been around for 11 years by by this point. Yeah, we did an album of theirs early on. I think it was their first album. So if anybody wants to do a Braxis, you know, hey, it's probably been two years since we did it. Yeah, Wayne, uh, Santana song. Uh, you covered uh, their debut album, Santana, in episode number 134. We, we did that in December of 2020. And as we mentioned before, there was two artists that were in the early band with Santana. It was a musician called Greg Raleigh, who played keyboards, and Neil Sean. Do you remember those two names? I uh-huh. do indeed. That name sounds familiar. I don't know. They probably took a walk or a journey That's somewhere. Yeah, they, they journeyed away. Yeah. <laughs> Carlos Santana is the guitarist and the songwriter. It's kind of interesting to me that you usually think about if the name of the band yeah. is probably the lead singer, the front man. And, I mean, Elvin Bishop. You yeah. know, Elvin Bishop's not the singer. He's the guitarist. So. Oh, Jay Giles Band. True. Yeah. It's amazing, though, when you think about how Santana has done this, because he has wound up reinventing himself several times by using different uh, lead vocals. Yeah. But you still have that Santana feel that's the same throughout. Mm-hmm. This was funny to me. Uh, I was looking through the information, and to your point, Bruce, he changed band members a lot. How many past members do you think there are on the list of Santana? Oh, geez. Like, I'm going to say 20. Okay. No, there's more than that. No, yeah, I would His say daughter's 30. now playing drums for him. How many do you think? I, over 100. No, it's, a se- it's 70. 70 wow. different people <laughs> over the years. And I love this. Apparently, he was told by a concert promoter that they would not make it playing Latin-infused rock and suggested that Carlos keep his day job as a dishwasher. <laughs> guess he proved him wrong. I guess he's saying, now hold my beer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, good. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. That's and now we're one. moving right along, and Brian is bringing us one of his favorites. I know you already recognize the bass chord. They bring in the rest of the music. From Down Under. So help me, who is this again? This would be the Little River Band. You gotta dig the harmonies that this band Oh has. man, yes. This is, of course, so Help Is On Its is Way. It it's released, actually released in 19, April of 1977. Hmm. But it peaked in the, later in the year. It actually got up to number one uh, in the Australian charts, but it went up that to number. Sense. 14 in the Billboard Top 100. I want to say on this album, there's probably like four or five hits that came off this yep. album because I know I probably did one. Wasn't Cool Change on this? Yeah. So, you know, Diamantina, Diamantina Cocktail is the name of the album. Lady was another one. Lonesome Loser. I'm, I'm trying oh, to yeah. go down the list. There was a, quite a few This songs. is one of those groups that the greatest hits yes. uh, album is fantastic. And I do own a copy. I'm sure you do, too. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, if you go out and see them now, you're not seeing a single person that belonged to that group during that heyday in the 70s. Ghost band. 100% <laughs> ghost band. 
But how, could they, how do they carry the name then? Because everybody quits, and suddenly somebody else comes in, and the last person in was from, or the latest, oldest person that's in that group was like from like 1982. Okay. And so when everybody else sort of filtered off, said, hey, we're going to go do off, do something else, I'm going to retire, and that guy kept the name, and he still has it. And I don't even think there's anybody from Australia in the group. <laughs> You and I went back, what, 2010? Oh, it was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah we had a great time. Yeah, they, they big were crowd there. Big crowd, but once again, it was a cover band. It, yeah. it was a glory, glorified cover band. Yeah. Well, this, of course, at the Australian 1977 King of Pop Awards, the song won Australian Record of the Year. Hmm. Sure that, did. That guitar sounds a little like Queen to me there. Yeah, yeah the, 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 the paired. Yeah. Um, Strings yeah. on it, yeah. Yep. And of course, Cashbox Magazine, according to Wikipedia, the source of all truth and knowledge, said that using classic chord progressions, this pop group from Australia builds carefully detailed arrangements that showcase a tight vocal blend and bright guitar melodies. A strong sense of the dramatic buildup geared for top 40 play. You know, I would also say that for some reason the lead vocals here sound to me a little bit like maybe um, maybe Peter Frampton or something like that. It has a little bit, it just makes, makes me think of that. Well, another group very similar, Pablo Cruz. Oh, yeah. You know, they, they have very similar songs like this. Yep. Buddy. Upbeat, upbeat. I, I like, I, I, it, I don't know, it makes me feel happy. These are fun pop songs. Yeah. This could also be a gospel song. It that, could. That, bu- that beat in the background. Uh-huh. Hold on. Help is on its way. <laughs> they definitely remember this song. Of course, they still play it onto the radio today. If you listen long enough, they'll play it. But, yeah, like to your point, Bruce, the, the Greatest Hits album is just gold. I mean, it's just wonderful. We wore that thing out. Not a bad song on it. Yeah, go and listen to Little River Band. Really, they are fun songs. There are some really good older songs, too, in that. They they are very talented. Uh, nothing disparaging about it, but, I mean, you can go see them in concert now, but really go back and listen to this older mm-hmm. music. Little yacht rock-ish. Little yacht rock-ish. <laughs> now, our final staff pick goes back to the man who started it all today. Bruce has a song that I really wish I had picked. Uh, he got to it first. I put this on the charts months ago. And I was almost going to pick it, too. I, I saw it on the charts, and I go, oh, I'll look. And then, of course, Bruce had it. And I'll, I'll, we'll, I'll talk why I wanted to do that in a minute. A little, little smooth, a little blue-eyed soul, a little yacht rock. Yeah, a little, I was about to say, speaking of yacht rock, we kind of... Almost closing. like Seals and Croft. <laughs> a little yeah, bit. A little cruising. bit. So this is a group called Player. It was a British-American rock band, and if you don't recognize the song yet, it is Baby Come Back. Oh, yeah. Not Baby's Got Back, (laughs) but Baby Come Back. (laughs) That's Peter Beckett on lead vocals and guitar. J.C. Crowley is on piano and backing vocals. Ron Moss is on bass and backing vocals. And John Friesen is on percussion. And Beck and Crawley wrote this after two of the band members had broken up with their girlfriends. Baby, come back. 
You know who could have done this really well? Is that? Hall and Oates. Yes, they I could. I remember thinking it was Hall and Oates when it, it came sounds out. Like, I, I thought it was Hall and Oates, too. But this harmony also reminds me of the song we just heard. Little River Band. Yeah, Little River yeah you're Band. right, Brian. Wow, what a, that's, that's kind of an eerie similarity. Isn't it? Yeah. It's a great song. It feels upbeat, but it's really depressing. It's like, <laughs> yeah. come back, please. It's off of their self-titled debut album, and um, they they made a shift. They, they were scheduled to tour with Eric Clapton, and so they made a shift from that blue-eyed soul sound to a more rock-oriented sound with their next album, and uh, their popularity kind of waned. Hmm. I think they should have stuck in this this field. Well, they had another big hit off of this album, if I remember correctly. They had You Were the Biggest Part of Me. Was, no. Is that another that's album? That's not them. That's not them. No. Nope. I think it's somebody else. Okay. There are actually, it's interesting, you were talking about ghost bands. Yeah. There are two versions of Player today. In 2018, Ron Moss sued Peter Beckett over the rights to the trademark, and they settled with a court order stipulating that they both owned common rights to the player name. So now each has to add their name to the front of the player mark when they use it individually. So it would be Peter Beckett's player or Ron Moss's player. If they tour together, then they could just call themselves player. But I don't think they get along that well. Doesn't sound like it if they had to go to those links. Hey, Brian, you're the biggest part of me? Yeah. Ambrosia. Okay. Thank you, Rob. Very similar, though, and yeah. I love that song, too. Yeah. The reason why I was going to pick this song is because there was a Christian rock group that would play at in bands or as a band throughout high school. Uh-huh. And they were called Freedom Jam. And I don't know if you know it, they played, you know, this song. They played, uh, obviously, Jackson Brown. It, they played Louisiana LaRue. You remember yep. New Orleans Lady? Yep. They played Ambrosia. They played all these kind of soft rock hits and stuff mm-hmm. and everything. And everybody, you know, I mean, for a high schooler, you really couldn't go out to a bar or anything. Everything right. was 21 and over. And so you And what concerts? You went to battle the bands. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, it's people doing their own songs. But this was somebody doing cover songs, and you had a good time. And back then, you could find a... a a package store or, or a gas station that would sell somebody that was under 21 alcohol. So, <laughs> and you take alcohol in. to a Christian rock band type of thing? <laughs> Who, us? No, <laughs> I was just saying some people did. And I think, somebody. I think you meant 18 and over back 18, then. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. It was that's 18 true. and over. <laughs> Thanks, Bruce. I enjoyed it. All right, now we're going to our, I guess it's an instrumental. It's not a comedy. It would be an instrumental. Name that instrumental. In the first few notes. This was on the charts, wasn't it? I think it might have been. I didn't see it on the charts, but... Brian, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) This is... We've actually done the uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind main title, but this is the dialogue. This is actually the, the part in the movie where they encounter the... Um, the the spaceship. Yeah, and Devil's Mountain. Talking right? with them. Yeah, at, they're at Devil's yes. Mountain. Yeah. Well, we usually go back and talk about what happened in December 1977 in music and top hits. 
You light up my life, Debbie Boone. What a big hit. How did we miss that for I this don't podcast? Know. I should have should have brought it up, shouldn't I? Don't make my brown eyes blue, Crystal Gale. Don't it make. Don't. Oh, oh, don't it make. Yeah, uh, I, I just remember her with her long hair going oh, yeah. down to like her ankles or something. It was, uh, just, it was I thought it dragged the floor, but you're right. Maybe it's just yeah. her ankles. <laughs> How deep is your love, Bee Gees? This is before... Saturday Night Fever, so they were already kind of hitting it big. Baby, what a big surprise, Chicago. Mm-hmm. And we talked about her. Linda Rodstead had Blue by You. Elsewhere in music, December 1977, Elvis Costello and the Attractions make their first U.S. TV appearance on Saturday Night Live. The sixth annual New Year's Rockin' Eve uh, had uh, Ohio players Crystal Gale, Kenny Rogers, Casey and the Sunshine Band, and Andy Gibb. Definitely a disco flavor. Yeah. A little late in the season to put an album out, but there was a few. Uh, Aerosmith had Draw the Line. Scorpions had taken by force. Of course, they hadn't really been the Scorpions we knew until the 80s. Al Green, the Bell album. ABBA. ABBA, the album. Joni Mitchell, we talked about her. Don Juan's Reckless Daughter. And finally, Eddie Money had Eddie Money out in December of 1977. Was that his debut album? I don't think so, but I'd have to go back and look. I didn't look that up. Well, you've been listening to What the Riff in December 1977. I'm Wayne. I'm Rob. I'm Brian. And I'm Bruce. We'll see you guys next time. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to What the Riff. We hope you enjoyed the songs we had on tap today. Please tell your friends about us. Check us out at whattheriff.com and follow us on Facebook. Special thanks to our sponsors, Wright Collin Financial, Stanton Electric, and Marbury Creative Group. That's all for this week. See you next week on What the Rift?